First, I want to say um, thank you for all the condolences over the last couple of hours. No, I didn't lose somebody. Green Bay lost last night. Don't be a stumbling block, brother. <laughs> I will say this. It was pretty cool last night. Um, I was sitting there. I was watching the game. And I was um, watching San Francisco and their offense. And a name kept coming up. And it's a name that most of us have heard for quite a while because many of us are used to hearing this name. And the name was Charlie Warner. For those who don't know, Charlie Warner played over at Raven County. I can remember back in 2015, he had a heck of a season over in Raven County, and he completely annihilated the Panthers. But it's pretty cool to watch somebody go from a high school to college, play for Georgia, even though he didn't have that great of a time at Georgia, but then to go on to professional football. It was pretty awesome to watch that happen. But if you look back at this whole family, this whole family has an identity that is surrounded around football. Um, his uncle, Steve Warner, played for the Giants, correct? Safety for the Giants, I think he was. Um, had a great professional, um, great professional career. Um, but it's pretty awesome to see people grow to that point. And it's pretty cool also to see the identity that is wrapped up in this family when it comes to a football legacy, especially a football legacy with the University of Georgia. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is going to be talking a lot about identity. And if you will, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 10. Also, go ahead and turn, um, get a finger or put a bookmark on uh, John chapter 12. Identity is sacred. And let me, let me tell you why identity is sacred. Identity is sacred to us because it is who we are. And who we are is important to us. You don't believe it's important to us. A little attack comes about and identity can really be attacked in a harsh way and we get extremely defensive. You back us back in a corner when it comes to our identity, we're going to come out and we're going to come out fighting. It's sacred to us. It almost becomes a God to us. It's something that we worship. It's something that it embodies us. It's something that we have within us. But identity is something that we also can tell a lot by a person. Whenever I meet a gentleman for the first time, one of the first questions that I will ask him, how many of you know one of the first questions that a man asks another man? What was that? What do you do? Isn't it funny how that come out automatically? What do you do? Why is this asked between men? Because men find their identity in what they do. They find their identity in their work. When I meet a lady for the first time, what's one of the questions that I ask a lady? That's one of them. That's one of them. But what's the other one? Children. Ah, we ask about the kids. Why is it? Because a woman's identity can be wrapped up in their kids and who their kids are. This is why a lot of parents carry that, or a lot of moms carry that, what I call mom guilt. Because when their kids don't do as they expect them to, they feel guilty for that because their kids are a part of their identity. Whenever I meet a teenager for the first time, anybody know what the question I ask them? 
No, I don't ask my parents. <laughs> don't want to know that much. I ask them what they're into. I ask them what they're into. Why? Because what they're into will determine where their identity, where they find their identity. This is true with all of us. All of us wrestle with this issue of identity. And all of us have these things inside of us that make us who we are. These are go-to questions. Whenever you meet somebody new, you want to find out something a lot about people, remember those three questions. For a man, what do you do? For a woman, ask about their kids. For a, young, for a teenager or even younger than that, what are you into? Why? Because this will allow you some insight into this person's life and to help you understand them from a different perspective. These questions point to something very important. They point to who the people believe that they are. Identity is something that at some point in our life, we will all search for. Any of y'all ever had one of those identity crisis moments where you're trying to figure out who you are? For some, it happened when we were younger. Some of us call this the rebellious years, when a child is acting out, when a teenager is acting out. But a lot of that comes about when a child is trying to really figure out who they are at that time in their life. And yeah, it can be difficult. For some people, that identity crisis comes at a lot later age. I can't help it. Whenever I see a 50-year-old man drive up in a Corvette, what is the first thing that goes through my mind? Midlife crisis. He's having an identity crisis. He's trying to figure out who he is. And I can understand it. I'm almost 50. I want a vet. Anybody want to buy me a vet? Let me find out who I am. Find out if I can go to jail or not. But all of us have these points. And it's amazing. Here in a couple of months, our town is going to be inundated with travelers. And these travelers are coming to do one thing and one thing alone. They are coming to start their journey, a 1,300-mile journey on the Appalachian Trail. And it's funny because I pick up a lot of these people. I know some people say you shouldn't do that. If a guy's got a backpack on his back, and he's heading down 129, I'm pretty sure I know where he's going. And I'll pick him up. And some of the conversations that you can have with these people, it's very interesting. Most of the people that I have had conversations with, they are taking this trip not just to say that they did it. They're taking this trip not just to say that they have accomplished something. They are taking this trip because they are searching. They're searching for something. And most of the time, what they're searching for is they're trying to find out who they are. Some people will spend all of their life searching out multiple identities just to try to figure out where their true identity lies. Identity sacred. It's sacred because it is who we are. It is our life. And when Jesus is about to send out his disciples, when he's about to send them out to do the work on their own, he knows that identity is something that they will all struggle with, especially, 
especially as his crucifixion comes about. It's funny how identity, the disciples had an identity crisis when the crucifixion happened, wasn't it? They denied him. They rejected him. A lot of them went back to what they always known. But in this scripture in Matthew chapter 10, the first thing he warns about, he warns them about the persecution that is coming. And he warns them about a persecution that they really aren't counting on. This persecution that, they're, that he is warning them about is a persecution that comes from the people that are closest to them. It's a persecution from their family. The second thing he warns them about, he warns them about a compromise, a compromise to deny him, to deny who he is. And he speaks these words to the disciples. And these are some very harsh words. But they're words that we all need to wrestle with. He who denies me before men, I, this is Jesus speaking, will deny him before the Father. When you deny Christ, that is a crisis of your identity. And I know some people say, Scotty, no, that's a crisis of your identity because Jesus is who you identify with. No, brothers and sisters, that is a crisis with our identity because he is the one who created us. That is where the real crisis comes in. It's not with who we really are. The crisis comes in when there is conflict between us and the one who created us. Parents, how many of you have had conflicts with your children? Children, how many of you have had conflicts with your parents? There's just something about that creator identity conflict that arises in all of us. But in Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 34, to clarify what Jesus is saying, this is what Jesus says to them. Matthew 10, 34, and we're going to read through the rest of the chapter. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Mama, watch out. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And if he does not take up his cross and follow after me, <clears throat> is, <clears throat> and follow after me is not worthy of me. For who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me <clears throat> receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's word, reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, 
he shall not lose his reward. Pray with me. Father, this morning we come to you, Lord, thankful. Thankful for the opportunity to come together, to dig into your word, to allow it to sharpen us, to allow it to change us. For that happened, Lord, we need eyes to see. We need ears to hear. And we need a heart and a mind to understand what it is that your word is trying to do in us. Father, this morning I pray that your spirit would be moving upon each and every one of us and would be transforming us from the inside out. So many of us spend all of our life, Lord, trying to transform our lives, and we always do it from the outside in. Father, do something in us that we could never do in ourselves. Give us your identity. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I ask you a question. You've heard what Jesus said. I came to set a son against his father. A mother against her daughter against her mother. And a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Does that mean that Jesus, Jesus came to bring conflict to families? Is that what it's saying? Because if you look at this from a surface level, if you look at this from a level of just what it is saying, yeah, that could come across. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. He came to cause problems in the family. But I want you to look very closely, very closely at those words that he spoke in verses 35 and 36. What do you notice about those words? Most of your Bibles either have them italicized or they have them in parentheses. And you don't have to be an English major. You don't have to go that far in school to know that this means Jesus is quoting something. And the quote of what he's quoting actually comes from the book of Micah. Micah chapter 7. And in Micah chapter 7, the prophet is telling of a time to come. In his words were a godly person, a godly person will be nowhere to be found. In his own words, he says that this will be a time when the best people are like briars. It says that the, this will be a time when the most upright people are like a thorn of hedges. And he says this will be a time when it is a time of utter confusion. Brothers and sisters, we live in a time of confusion. But when Jesus came onto the scene, he brought much confusion with him as well. Jesus lived in a very confusing time while he is here on this earth. Over the years, there had been many systems put in place. These systems existed for about three to 200 years. And you know what happens when something exists for three, two to three hundred years, a person becomes used to it. Families become used to it. It's ingrained in them. It becomes who they are. And when anything attacks that system, they see it as an attack on themselves. Why? Because it's a thing of identity. It's a thing of identity. 
Colton, already asleep. Bless his heart. How about that? Dalton, who's the best team? Did y'all hear what he said? Seahawks. <laughs> Seahawks. Y'all want to know how that come about? His mama likes the Seahawks. His mama says that she started off liking the Seahawks because of the blue and the green. I think she started liking the Seahawks because of Russell Wilson. I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? But that has become a system in our house. We are a divided house. If you ask Colton when he wakes up, it's pretty good when your daddy puts you to sleep in less than 10 minutes. Golly, we're going to start timing this. If you ask Colton who the best team in the world is, he's going to say the Packers. The Packers. And it's a family rivalry. And it's a, it's a friendly rivalry. It's a friendly rivalry until Jennifer takes jabs at me. Like asking me things like, when are you going to pick a better team? We made it to the playoffs. Y'all finished last in y'all's division. But these are sacred things to us. Why? Because we do, in some way, shape, or form, all of us find some identity in the systems that we have set up in our houses. Every single house has systems. I was surprised. I was surprised that there was only one University of Georgia shirt on in this whole place. What's wrong with you people? Most people find a lot of identity in sports. Talk about the Warners starting off. The Warners have a great identity in sports. This is something that they have bred into their family. UGA, football, Rabin County. It's a legacy. And when that legacy is attacked, what will be the response? Retaliation. Some people have put up legacies in their homes of family businesses. Some of you have a family business that you've had all of your life. And you have an aspiration for somebody in your family to take over that business. This happens a lot. And the reason you have that aspiration is because there's an identity that's set up in that. For some, it is alumni. Some of you have went to college and you want your children to go to the same college. Some of you played a sport. You want your children to play the same sport. We have these systems set up in our home and we don't realize how valuable they are to us until that child tells us they don't want to follow in our footsteps. They don't want to like the football team that our whole family's cheered for. They don't want to do any of these things that we have for them because they are trying to find their own identity. In the Jewish culture, there had been a tradition. There had been things set up for two to three hundred years that were very similar to this. 
The upright man that it talked about in the book of Micah, who's he referencing? He's referencing the Pharisees. And the upright men were like a hedge of thorns. And what this hedge of thorns did is it kept people from coming to God. That's what the Pharisees did. They made it so hard to come to God that it was almost like going up against a barrier. Who were the best? The best were the Sadducees. The Sadducees, if you look at them, they were steeped in tradition. And you didn't mess with their tradition. You did not mess with their tradition whatsoever. Some of us have traditions set up. We've got families who go to the Georgia-Florida game every year. It's a great tradition. We've got families who will spend time with their families on New Year's Eve. Great tradition. But you come up against these traditions, and what happens? Conflict. Conflict. When Jesus came on the scene... You know what he brought to the Pharisees and to the Sadducees? He brought conflict. And the conflict isn't really what we think it was. It wasn't a conflict of control. It wasn't a conflict of power. It was a conflict of identity. Jesus was telling them that they are not who they think they are. And what did they constantly tell Jesus? You are not the son of God. When our identities are attacked, we take it personal, don't we? We take it personal. And we should. We should because who we are is important to us. And there's a lot of things that we don't understand about this. We deal with the issue of racism. You know what? Skin color is sacred to people. It is their ethnicity. It is who they are. And it is not something that we should just minimize. It is sacred to them. It is their God-given gift. Don't attack it. Don't attack it. Your family heritage, whatever it may be, it's sacred to you. It's sacred to you because of who or where you are in your life. It's got you where you are. And you know what? Nobody should attack that. Nobody should. But there comes a point in all of our life when we come to a real identity crisis that the only one who can attack who we really are he throws an attack. He throws an attack. And that attack takes place on the inside, not on the outside. Because he's digging deep. He's digging into who we really are. And a lot of people think, well, Scotty, this doesn't really cause conflict. In my years of a youth pastor... I got to see some pretty great things, but I also got to see some pretty horrible things. I never will forget when we had a young lady who had an aspiration and a desire in her heart to be a missionary. And there was a lot of people who rallied around her, but there were some people who did not rally around her. 
Those people told her that she was foolish for doing that. Do you know what you're giving up by sacrificing your life to be a missionary? I had a young man one time. Had a desire to be a preacher. Had a desire to be a pastor. Went and told his mom and dad that he wanted to go to seminary. His dad's response, do you want to be broke your whole life? I've had young men and young women come to know Christ, have a bubbling passion in them that is just absolutely overflowing. They go home. They tell mom and dad about the transformation that took place on the inside, and their mom and dad's response is, you'll get over it. This is the conflict that Jesus causes in a family. When Jesus changes people in a family and the others don't understand about the transformation that has taken place, it causes conflict. Because it undoes those systems that we have put in place. It undoes us when our children don't want to sit and watch football with us. It undoes us when our children don't want to take over the family business. It undoes us when our children don't desire to attend the same colleges that we went to. It undoes us. And the reason it does is because we find our identity too much in a world that will perish. What's your greatest achievement in life? Some of you graduated from some pretty prestigious colleges. Some of you have made some pretty, pretty, pretty substantial businesses. Some of you have done some great things in your life. But when it comes to a kingdom mindset, how did those things benefit an eternal kingdom? Did they? Did they? Now, I'm not minimizing them. I'm not trying to minimize them. I'm not trying to minimize your business. I'm not trying to minimize your success. I'm not trying to minimize your graduation from a college. I'm not trying to minimize any of these things. But I am trying to get you to put them in perspective because that is exactly what Jesus is trying to do to his disciples right here. Because he knows, Jesus, he knows his disciples are going to come to a conflict with inside them. He knows that they're going to come, there's going to be persecution that's going to come towards them. And when this persecution comes down to it, where they find their identity is where they will naturally gravitate, gravitate to. Brothers and sisters, as long as our identity is in this world, we will always gravitate to this world. But when we realize that God has given us an identity inside of us that is linked to him, that identity doesn't stop here. It carries with us from here to the afterlife, to the life that we truly have with him. Isn't it kind of funny, though? We've talked about this before. If eternity was represented 
in this 44 feet from wall to wall. Draw a dot over here. Start. Where would the dot be for 78 years? Would it even be visible? It would be so far over there that we couldn't even see it. And this is what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples. If you put your identity in your time here, it won't be seen in your time there. Identity is important, guys. Identity is so important to us. And if we're not careful, our identity can cause us to do some very, very, very harsh things. 49 years ago yesterday, a court case was fought in the Supreme Court, one that we all have heard about, Roe versus Wade. The right for abortion. Do you know what that fight was really about? It was about a young woman who, just to be honest with you, really had nothing to do with abortion at all. But she wanted the right to have an abortion so that she could continue on with her college. So that she could continue on with her life. So that she could continue on living the life that she desired to live. You know what that court case was really about? That court case was about her identity. She wanted to protect her identity. And since then, millions upon millions upon millions of babies have been murdered in the name of identity. I know the arguments. Well, what about the rape victims? Abortion makes up 0.2%. Rape victims make up 0.2% of all abortions. Not even 1%. Well, what about the mother wanting to finish college? It's kind of selfish, isn't it? Well, what about the mother's life? Well, what about the baby's life? When our identity is tacked, we will do some awful things. And some awful things have taken place in our nation under the name of identity. And brothers and sisters, this isn't a political statement. This is a God-fearing statement. Death with no cause, is murder. And I want you to answer me one question right now. When's it okay to murder a child? The families have become so used to their systems that these conflicts that Jesus was bringing about was tearing apart their families. The disciples, if you look more into their lives, if you look more into Matthew chapter 4, 
you will see the disciples in a boat with their dad. Jesus says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. The two boys get up out of the boat, leave their dad behind. How do you think that went over? How do you think that went over? Paul had a life, a great life, a life of a Sanhedrin. He was the top of the top. He had riches. He had everything. But when it came to that point to where Christ really dealt with who he is, he had to turn his back on all that. Everybody says, well, Paul's life's family's never really mentioned, is it? No, it's not. And it's probably because Paul's family turned their back on him. Why? Because he was breaking up their system. Christ did come to break up systems. Christ came to break up our systems. And he goes on to tell us even more about this in Matthew chapter 16 and verses 25 through 26. He says, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? This world has a lot to offer, doesn't it? I'm amazed every day at all the things that my kids can possibly do. The colleges that they'll possibly be able to go to. The sports that they'll be able to play. The talents that they will be able to learn. The opportunities that they have. This world can offer a lot. But this world offers one thing that I think none of us really, really put a lot of thought into. This world offers us death. Eternal life, there is no death. And brothers and sisters, eternal life goes on whether you choose Jesus or not. You will either eternally be with him or you will eternally be separated from him in pain, in anguish, in all of these things. And you know why you'll truly be separated from him? It's not because It's not because you weren't successful. It's not because you didn't go to a college. It's not because you didn't play a sport. It's because you found your identity in all of those things and you never have found your identity in Christ. When Jesus is try- about to go to the cross, he says some words that are very similar to what we read today. Excuse me. In verse 24 of John chapter 12, he says, Truly, truly, 
I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Hmm. That doesn't make sense, does it? That something has to die to bear fruit? He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it in eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must. Let me repeat that. He must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. My biggest fear in life, my biggest fear in life, because I know my own tendencies. Guys, I can be very worldly. I really can. I shed a couple of tears last night over a football game. I like nice things. I like to be considered successful. I like to make a name for myself because the Gerard name does not have a good legacy behind it. But my biggest fear is that I will get so wrapped up in all of that that I will lead my boys to think that that is what's important. And I will lead my boys to think that the most important thing I've done in this life made a name for me. That's why if you find your life in this world, you will lose it. You never see a U-Haul in a funeral procession. You never see people buried with all their money. You never see people buried with all their diplomas, do you? Nope. You see them in a casket, and that's it. But if you're willing to lose your life here on this earth, and find your identity in Christ. And let me tell you something. You truly find your identity in Christ, this is going to cause conflict with you and your family. Why? Because you're not going to do things that they want you to do. You're going to do what Christ wants you to do. When you really find your identity in Christ and you lose your life on this earth, that's when you find it. The American dream is a cheap substitute to eternal life. And it's a cheap substitute that has entrapped many of us. And brothers and sisters, it's time that we repent. 
Because the American dream is not a kingdom advance. The American dream is nothing more than selfish living for ourselves today. And that's not the life that Christ modeled. Christ came, served, and gave his life as a ransom for many. And remember what he said right there? Anyone who comes to me must follow So who are you following this morning? Who are you following this morning? Are you following the latest trend? Are you following the latest fad? Are you following someone who goes completely against all of that? Because this morning, everybody in here is going to make a decision. Some of you, have already committed your life to Christ. And let's just be honest. Somewhere along the road, we took a detour. Well, brothers and sisters, it's time for us to get back off of that detour and get back on his way. Some of you here have tried and tried and tried all your life to follow Christ. But you keep getting pulled back in to this worldly identity. This morning... I invite you to find your identity again in him. For those who may never know Christ, this morning, I challenge you. Believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth. Believe that he lived a sinless life. Believe that he died on the cross and he died on the cross for you. Believe that he did not stay dead, but rose again on the third day. And believe that because of this death and because of this resurrection, that he has freed you from the power of death, the power of sin, and the power of the grave. That is how you find a new identity. I'm going to pray. Tommy and the uh, praise team, they're going to come up and they're going to sing. After I pray, I'm not saying no more. Who are you following? This morning, I truly believe with all my heart that God is leading some of you. Will you follow? You can respond at the altar. You can fall down right where you are. That's how mighty our God is. He's everywhere. Who are you following? Father, first, I've I got to repent, God. <laughs> messages. The messages that you give, Lord, always cut. They always cut deep. And they start cutting with me first. And Father, I do. I apologize for all the times that I've tried to find my identity in this world. I apologize, Lord, for all the times that I have misled others by the life that I live to show them who I truly belong to. And Father, this morning I pray that you would help me to continually seek out my identity in you. You created us, Lord, with your hands. You breathed life into us 
with your breath. You've given us an identity. Our fingerprints, Lord, your fingerprints are all over us. Help us look for those fingerprints that you've left in our life. Help us, Lord, to lose our life here on this earth so that we can have a life with you forever. I love you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As they sing, as you stand, who are you following?